the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, not exactly Georgine Rice, but my name is David Lohman. I am taking over the wonderful seat of Georgine Rice just for today, and we are going to have a great show. Spent a lot of time putting some stuff together that I think is going to be a bit challenging. Uh, hopefully a whole lot of fun as we take a look at what does it mean to have a biblical worldview. And also, once you have a biblical worldview, how do you then take that into the world? How do you use your biblical worldview when you're discussing politics, when you're discussing Hollywood, uh, writing books, when you're talking about the future? These are just some of the things that we're going to be discussing today uh, with my guests from Cross Politics, Toby Sumter, Gabriel Wrench, and the Chocolate Knox, David Shannon. And in hour two, we're going to talk to Gary DeMar, literally one of the very best experts on eschatology and looking at how your worldview impacts your eschatology and how your eschatology impacts your worldview. We're also going to be talking to Brian Gadawa, who is a screenwriter, director in the world of Hollywood but a very outspoken Christian and critic of the worldview that Hollywood continues uh, to push. So uh, all that combined with a handful of other things we'll be talking about and a very special guest in the last segment when we get to it. But before that, I wanted to bring up something that most people are simply not familiar with. Several years ago, renowned theologian from the, uh, of the Old Testament at Southwestern Baptist Seminary, Dr. Ryan Stokes, gave... Uh, what was really an earth-shattering presentation. We know about Jesus as the Son of God. We know about Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know Jesus about Messiah. But there was one thing that Dr. Stokes presented to this group of theologians that really shook the world of, of, of theologians and of students, and that is Jesus was a pirate. Yeah, I know. There are going to be people pulling over to the, on the side of the road saying that well, there's just no way. This, this can't be true. Who is this guy taking over for Georgine telling us that Jesus was a pirate? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not just going to share this information with you uh, without giving you some evidence to back up this claim. And this evidence, again, was brought to you by Dr. Ryan Stokes he, uh, from Southwestern Baptist Seminary. This, uh, the, the, the speech he gave had three points and an acrostic. You have three points and an acrostic, and you're at a Baptist seminary? This stuff's got to be true, right? Well, let's look at the first argument that Dr. Stokes made. The first, we take a look at the activities of Jesus. Now, not going to use any verses for it at this point. You're just going to have to trust me. But when we talk about the activities, we're, we're talking about who did Jesus hang out with? First of all, we know that he hung out with tax collectors. One of his own disciples was a tax collector, and Zacchaeus. He was where the money was. Who else was surrounded by money? Pirates. He also hung out with drunkards. 
we know that pirates were known to be drunkards. I mean, we know this because of Disneyland and Pirates of the Caribbean. We know that Jesus hung out with gluttons. We know that pirates are gluttons. We know that Jesus hung out with prostitutes. We learned that again from Pirates of the Caribbean and the ride at Disneyland. Pirates hung out with prostitutes. The disciples were always on boats out at sea. Who else was on boats out at sea? Pirates. Jesus was constantly running in trouble with the law. Who else was constantly running in trouble with the law? Pirates. So we know from his activities that Jesus was a pirate. But if that's not enough, let's take a look at Jesus's rhetoric. So we have activities and rhetoric. What we mean by that is what did Jesus talk about? What were his sermons laced with? What, what kind of examples did he give? Well, let's take a look at Matthew 13, 44. There it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and buried it again. Who finds buried treasure and then buries it again? Pirates. Matthew 25, 14 tells us, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Now, I don't want to confuse you with context or anything here, so we're just going to jump several verses to verse 18 of the same chapter, and look at what it says. It says, the man who received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Who else hides money in the ground? Pirates. Who hid other people's money? Pirates. And now let's take a look at Jesus' rhetoric as he discussed how someone should be punished. Matthew 18, 6. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who else drowned people in the depths of the sea as punishment? Pirates. So let's finally look at the last of the requirements. It is actually R. We have the first one, which was his activities, the second one, which was rhetoric, and now the third one is the requirements. Again, that acrostic spells R. Jesus was a pirate. But we have verses to back up the requirements that he has, the expectations he had of his followers. What did Jesus tell them to do? When Luke twenty two thirty six it says, But now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. Who else tells his followers to go and buy a sword? Pirates. And he also told them to take a bag with them. What would they need a bag for? For all the gold. Who else keeps gold inside a bag? Pirates. Now, if you're not convinced yet, these last two verses will definitely give you the answers that you need to prove that, yes, truly Jesus was a pirate. And not only that, these two verses are back to back, so they're in context. Matthew 5, 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. What would you do if you had to gouge your eye out and throw it away? You'd wear an eye patch. Who else wears an eye patch? Pirates. And then the next verse, and if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. So if you had to, I don't know, cut off your right hand, what would you put in place of it? Uh, maybe a fake hand or, or better yet, even a hook. Who else put hooks on their hands? Pirates. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Ryan Stokes made a great case to prove that most undoubtedly Jesus was a pirate.
Now, I give this example because if we're going to take a biblical worldview into the world, we need to have a good understanding of what the Bible actually teaches. And in a world today where we have so much scripture twisting taking on in the world around us, it becomes a true danger to just listen to what people have to say and think you can build a worldview around that. No, you are responsible to read your own Bible. We have an amazing book that in the next segment we're going to take a little bit deeper look at. But the problem is when we do not know what the Bible actually says, we end up with scripture twisting that is truly dangerous. Case in point, a popular televangelist once made the claim that God was about six foot two, weighed about 210 pounds, and lives on a planet somewhere out in the solar system. We had another televangelist tell us that there are nine parts to the Trinity. Let's do that math. Trinity means three, one, two, nine. Hmm. That same person also told us that when we, when Jesus stands before God, he does so as a man. But when we stand before God the Father, we do so as a God. Scripture twisting is one of the most dangerous things in the church today because when we take our worldview, which should be covered in Scripture, Quite often, we take the wrong information with us. So we're going to spend the rest of today talking about what does it mean to have that biblical worldview? What does it mean to study our words so that we can build that worldview? And then how do we take it out into the world? So continue to join me for the rest of the program today on The Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman, and I am uh, taking over just for the day, and we're taking a look at what does it mean to have a biblical worldview, how do you build it, and then once you have built it, how do you take it into the world around us? Before going to our first guest at the bottom of the hour, I want to talk a little bit, though, about some of the problems currently facing the church today, and a lot of that has to do with biblical illiteracy. In fact, the, I believe it was the Barna Institute that did a uh, pretty detailed research about just what Christians believe about the Bible and how many Christians actually read their Bible. From that research, we came to conclude that less than 10% of professing Christians have read the entire Bible. Less than 10% of Christians actually profess a biblical worldview. In fact, only 51% of the Protestant pastors who were interviewed actually profess a biblical worldview. 65% of Americans believe the Bible answers most or all of life's questions, but all, out of those 65%, only 28% of them even read their Bible on a regular basis. Only 16% of born-again Christians believe the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. According to born-again Christians, 10% believe that people are reincarnated after death. Among those who claim to be born-again Christians, 29% claim it's possible to communicate with the dead. And 50% of born-again Christians contend that a person can earn their salvation based on their good works. So we wonder, do we have a biblical illiteracy problem? We most certainly do. So what do we do about it? Well, the first and most important thing is that we have to really, uh, realize that the Bible is the Word of God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, the term in, in the Greek is theonustros, uh, which means that it is God-breathed, that Scripture is breathed out or breathed through the nostrils of God. It is His Word. We also have to understand that the Bible, as it was originally delivered, is inerrant, infallible, and it's sufficient for all things. 
The Bible is exclusive and the sole source of divine revelation. There are no extra divine revelations. Scripture is exclusive in that area. When someone comes to the door and tells you that they have a new divine revelation, it is to be rejected. The Bible is also the final arbiter of all things about which it speaks. And while the Bible does contain all knowledge, the Bible alone does not contain all knowledge. The Bible alone contains all the knowledge that's necessary for salvation. The Bible alone is the standard of holy living, and the Bible alone can bind the conscience of an individual and change that person's life. But even in the church today, we have people who would be considered leading advocates on popular television and radio programs, some of the largest churches in the country that have said things about the Bible that most would find shocking. If you truly believe what I just described about the Bible, then you'd be very surprised to read that some of the me, the most popular authors, televangelists, and pastors had said, have said similar things. One of them, and I'm quoting, I'm afraid that we have satiated our hunger for God by reading old love letters for him to the churches in the epistles of the New Testament. This leading pastor actually refers to uh, the epistles written by Paul as simply old love letters. A true Christian is not happy with just past truth. He must have present truth. Christians don't want to just study some from old, moldy pages of what God has done in the past. They want to see what God is doing right now. Here, a leading pastor, one of the biggest sellers of books in the Christian bookstore industry, claims that the Bible is old, moldy pages. Another goes on to say, this is, there is a vast difference between present truth and past truth. I'm afraid that most of what the church has studied in, in the past truth and very little of what we know in the present truth. In fact, he went ahead to critique and criticize his own members of his church because they spent too much time reading the Bible and not enough looking for new divine revelation. Another one on to say, sometimes people miss what God is saying today because they're so committed to what he had already said. I'm hopefully you're starting to understand where I'm getting at. We have people today leading voices in the church that are telling us that the Bible is old, isn't as necessary. It's old, moldy pages. That is not how the Bible is described by the authors. And so what is the result of not reading our Bible right? What happens when we uh, set scripture aside? It shuts down, uh, it actually ends up shutting down the full orbed mission of the church, which was to make disciples of nations. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. Get that? Nobody comes to the Lord except they hear the word. So when we reject the word, we reject the call that Jesus made to make disciples out of the nations and to spread the gospel. There's an accepted notion that scriptures are irrelevant on this side of heaven. In other words, we're kind of so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good, not realizing that actually scripture speaks to us today. And how we can make an impact in the world, society, and the culture around us is to take the word of God to it. And as a result of this now, we have generations of Christians without a biblical worldview. We find this in the Old Testament, in, in the book of Judges where in the book of Judges we find that a generation starts to lose their interest in the Word of God and in the worship of God, and two generations later doesn't even know that that God exists. It does not take long for the sins of the fathers to be passed on to the next generation. It also leads to what we call compartmentalized Christianity, and that's what we're going to spend most of the rest of the day talking about. 
we kind of have this idea that we have the sacred and the secular and that the two shouldn't mix, that the Bible is just for the Christian part of my life, but everything else is for the secular part of my life. Nowhere in Scripture do we get that idea. One of the worst results is that it allows others to set the cultural agenda. For now, the last generation or so, the church has looked back and complained about what's going on around them. They complained about who the president is or who the president isn't, no matter who seems to win. They have allowed the cultural agenda to be set by Hollywood. They've allowed the, co- the cultural agenda to be set by uh, the movies we watch, the music we listen to, the, politics, the polit- uh, politicians we vote for. We have allowed it to be impacted not by truth because it's a rejection of Scripture, but we have allowed the cultural agenda to be set by everything else except the Word of God. So, in a sense, it neutralizes Christianity and leads us to want to sit around and wait for some sort of escape and ultimately an impotent church that allows the gates of hell to prevail. False doctrine is now normalized because we reject a biblical view of Scripture. The nature of God is then shifted in our minds, the nature of Jesus, the view of man, atonement, sanctification, law, grace. You can go on and on down every single theological or doctrinal idea. But when we reject the word of God, we end up rejecting the truths that are found in it, and ultimately we lose. So having the the biblical worldview is vital to take it into and make a difference in culture. But we cannot, and I repeat, cannot make a difference in society, if we do not know the word ourselves, we are the ones who are obligated to know the word. Two examples. One is found in First Timothy, in which Timothy is complimented by Paul for studying to show himself approved. He challenges Paul, or challenges Peter, uh, Timothy, to actually continue to study the word that he was already given in order to be approved not just by God, but by man. And then we have in the book of Acts, uh, I believe chapter 17, the story of Paul talking about the Bereans. And he talks about how the Bereans were more noble than those who were around him because they read the word, and get this, they read the word to challenge Paul. Paul encouraged them to read their word in order to challenge him to make sure what he was preaching was true. That is our call today. When we come back, we'll be talking to the hosts of CrossPolitik, one of the fastest growing podcasts in all of America, as they delve into the world of politics from a very distinctly Christian perspective. So join us in just a few moments. We'll come back with the guys from Cross Politic today, right here on the Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. All right. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. And obviously, I'm not Georgine Rice. My name is Dave Lohman, and I am here today. And we're talking about taking a biblical worldview into the world. I also forgot to mention that straight across from me is my son, Caden, who's going to be joining us for a little bit today, especially this part. Um, We're going to be talking to three gentlemen from a uh, podcast program, also uh, televised in some area, um, called Cross Politic. It is uh, Pastor Toby Sumter, uh, Gabriel Wrench, and the Chocolate Knox, Dave Shannon. Hey, guys, how are you doing today? 
We are doing great. It's great to be here with you. Wonderful. Yeah, I, am, I, am, I am so excited because uh, when I first uh, they first asked about doing this show, I was talking to my son. I said, hey, I'm going to try and get cross politic guys. And, of course, he is a huge fan of yours. Uh, listens to your show uh, every single week, tries to watch it live when it's on Facebook or whatever. So uh, we want to try and get right to this because we just have a ton of stuff that we want to get across and, and, and start the discussion. But I just saw that you guys got some serious numbers on your streaming. Uh, do you want to, uh, to make those announcements? Those, that's, you've oh, actually, yeah, this is Photoshop. Yeah, you've actually, you've actually <laughs> gone beyond the just a handful. Uh, yeah, we're, yeah, we're super grateful. <laughs> we haven't even we haven't even been doing this for two years, and just of, of this last month, we're now getting about um, if if numbers stay consistent, we're getting about twenty five thousand downloads a week, which is about a hundred thousand downloads a month, and that doesn't include our Facebook, YouTube stuff. That's just our podcast or our NRB TV watches. That's just our podcast network. So. Pretty excited about that, man. Yeah, that is that is truly exciting because of what you guys are doing is so unique compared to a lot of other things because you would think it's just going to be this uh, continual bashing of, of liberals and, and Democrats. and um, But rather, from what I've gathered of listening to almost every single program, a, a lot of what you guys discuss is what we want to talk about today, and that's taking your biblical worldview. You've read the scriptures. You've memorized scripture. You know the scripture. Now you want to take that idea, uh, the, that worldview, and take it into the world of politics. So you kind of have to ask, um, should Christians be involved in politics, in the discussion of politics? <laughs> Kobe? Absolutely. Well, um, if, if Jesus is Lord, and we believe that by his sinless, faithful life, his death for our sins, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father, um, he has been declared Lord. Um, mm. He says in his, uh, he said in the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. Therefore, go. And so, right. um, and so we we believe that Jesus is Lord of all the nations. All principalities and powers have been made subject to him. And so those principalities and powers include uh, Supreme Court justices, presidents, governors, even city council members, of course, pastors, teachers, parents, uh, businessmen. Um, so wherever there is real authority, true authority, all of it ultimately is called upon to submit to Jesus. And mm -hmm. so if, if Jesus is the Lord of all those things, then Christians um, can go with confidence into every area of life. Uh, to serve Jesus. Preach, preacher. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, I, you know, I just want to say that this is, a, this is a really weird question in one sense because we don't ever ask this question when it talks about taking the gospel to China or to Russia or mm, to Africa mm. or to South America. Yeah. And what we know that people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't ever ask that question when, it, when we talk about mission work. But yeah. when it comes to an area where we see there is sin that is not... <laughs> killed and people are not bowing to the lordship of jesus christ why would we ever ask the question should christians not be there in of fact I, I, I find <laughs> i find it funny that it's it seems to be the only area in which we ask that question we don't seem to ask the question about hollywood or music or any other art forms right. we there seems to be no problem of taking a biblical worldview and trying to expand the gospel and the kingdom in that setting but for some reason when we talk about politics is it just you know, so dirty that uh, that the Christian should should avoid it. But I guess what I, I ultimately want to get to, and at least in this first segment of discussion, is 
Is there also a danger, and I think it's going to be a pretty easy answer, but I want to discuss it and kind of flesh it out a little bit more, but is there a, a, a danger for Christians who have, especially in this last couple of years, been very inconsistent in their defense of of the president, of their representatives, or of those within their political party, their team, um, their little tribe. It seems as though we've allowed hypocrisy to set in, that you're not allowed to uh, criticize somebody who's on your team, and you're only allowed to criticize those who are on the other team who actually may be doing the right thing, who may be doing – have a better idea. Does the Christian – find should should the christian in a sense be more obligated to the truth even when the truth comes from the other team yeah well Absolutely. and here's part Absolutely. of the problem and here's part of the problem if you aren't standing on god's word and analyzing politicians through the lens of the bible you get yourself in these kind of pickles if you think of right. bill clinton you think of bill clinton back in the 90s um he was promiscuous um he he's in a lot of ways um trump is bill clinton 2.0 their economic policies are very similar. Their war, uh, their foreign policies are pretty similar. I mean, uh, Clinton was talking about building a wall in 1996. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. But but if you and so you need to be able to look at Clinton and look at you know and analyze him through the biblical lens and say, okay, where's he right? Where's he wrong? And the same thing with with Donald Trump. You need to be able to look at and analyze. Okay, where's he right? Where's he wrong? How did Christians get to this point where they have no problem voting for Donald Trump, but they're totally against Bill Clinton? Yeah. Now I do think I do think there's some justification and reason to to possibly vote for Donald Trump in a way that there wouldn't be for Bill Clinton. But but part of the problem is we just aren't analyzing things through a biblical lens to be able to process this in the in the first place. Yeah, I think one of the reasons too why we have such a hard time and we, we ask you know can can the gospel even go into politics? You know, the, your your first question there. I think part of the reason for our hesitancy is we've seen so many Christians um, just go down the black hole of politics. Um, they just, they just, they get it. They say, we're going to make a difference. We're going to make a difference. And then they just, they're mm-hmm. gone. They start compromising, start compromising, start compromising. Um, That's right. And because there really is something there about the, the power, the money, the sex, whatever it is. I mean, there's, there's a lot there. It's, it's one of the great idols of our day. And I think mm-hmm. precisely because politics has become an idol, Christians are frequently no, no good in actually helping. Um, <laughs> and so, so we have to be committed to actually wrecking that idol, um, yeah. while while still believing that um, civil authority and civil uh, social structures are a good given to us by God. But that means we have to go in and be willing to be the guy that totally stands out as a sore thumb. Okay, so so that end of that real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you finish no, okay, up. So I, I also want to say is like you know the reason that we have a hard problem in the area of politics is that we haven't crucified our own idols. We haven't killed our own idols in our hearts. So we come there with idols already. Uh, And so we don't have holy man in those positions. And so it's really easy to be distracted by, you know, your own wants and desires that you haven't been crucified yourself. And so I think that, I mean, just look at what's rampant right now in churches with this. I mean, the fact that the men are supposed to be our leaders are, getting brought up on charges for sexual harassment. Mm. I mean, we can have some cleaning yeah. up to do ourselves with our own leadership. <laughs> yeah. yeah. To do there first if we're going to have an effect anywhere else. So it always starts at home. All right. And that I guess that leads me real quick to the second part of that question before, which do, do we need to consider the opposition the enemy, or do we need to see them as uh, the loyal opposition or as a mission field? 
Uh, how, how do we take a look at those who we have on – I mean, watching just the opening segment today of the Kavanaugh hearings, you saw a distinctly uh, warlike setting from both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to – we have to be willing to I, – I, I agree with you. I, mean, I, think, I think on the first hand, we go into the whole system and we say um, the, the whole thing in a certain way has been rigged. So in terms of the opposition – I mean, the whole thing is a is a pantheon to uh, a false gods um, in a certain way. And on the other hand, I think we go in and, and recognize that, yes, there are coalitions within this that are co-belligerents, and then there are, are full-on enemies. And I think we have to make those distinctions when we go in. We have to be um, quick on our feet. And it, the whole thing's a mission field. And at the same time, um, we have to be committed to trying to make real progress um, with people who are willing to work with us. All right, wonderful. Well, we are talking to uh, the gentleman from Cross Politic. Uh, it is a great podcast, incredibly popular. Listen to it every single week. And um, in fact, when we come back from this break, I'm going to have my son ask a question of you guys. Uh, most of you, I think all of you may have met him, at least two of you have met him, most of you have heard about him as I've talked about him. Uh, this is kind of an area, apologetics, politics, things that he's really interested in, wanting to get some feedback from you guys. So hold on. We're just going to take a really quick break, and we'll be right back on The Georgine Rice Show right here on KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgina Rice Show. My name is David Lohman. We are talking to the guys from Cross Politic, the uh, podcast. And um, now you guys also, it's, it's, uh, it's videoed or whatever. I, I've noticed that I can now watch you guys um, on, uh, on Facebook every single Sunday night. Yeah, so we air live on Sunday night at 7 p.m. And then we also um, air on DirecTV on Friday night at 8.30 Pacific Standard Time. And that's a that's a half hour show. Our Facebook live show is an hour long. Yeah, and it's great. Again, I do, I watch it um, pretty much every single week, and had a joy. My son and I had the pleasure of meeting um, a couple of you guys uh, just a few weeks ago at the called conference, which we will talk about before we we say goodbye. But I want real quick to ask um, ask Dave Shannon one question. Um, oh, uh, yeah, I know yeah. Uh, the uh, <laughs> you've you uh, been monikered over the years. The chocolate knocks. You do possess a bit more melanin than the two guys you're sitting next to on the program. Um, you are you are blessed. You are the Michael Tate of the uh, of the group, uh, comparing to DC Talk. Um, Oh, wow. Uh, you, oh, wow. <laughs> going back, going back. Yeah. In fact, I just talked to Michael a couple of weeks ago here. At our, we had a concert here with the Newsboys, and he was there. And I, we were laughing about the DC Talk days because I go way back with them there. But, uh, but David, as, as a black man with a bit more of a conservative leaning, do you find yourself having to defend your positions more in a – a, a white setting and a black setting in because I mean, you know it, towing the line. Do you ha- find yourself criticized the group that changed its name a while ago that went all social justice warriors on us? Um, have been very critical about those um, who have maintained a consistent uh, conservative biblical perspective um, uh, as a black man in this community. Uh, it's interesting. You know, it's funny. I, I, my wife and I consider ourselves equal opportunity offenders. Uh, <laughs> so, 
we, we actually, it's funny because we, we tried to be far more Christian than even black and, or, or far more Christian than even conservative, you know what I mean? Yes. And so, or Republican. So that, that way, everybody gets hit the same way. And so it's not like we're on one side or the other. We kind of steamroll the whole thing. So, I mean, we haven't made, we haven't done ourselves any favors by being that way. We lose friends on both sides. And you find yourself standing right in this middle where you almost feel like Athanasius Contramundum. Like, okay, bet. If it's going to be like that, we'll take you all on, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I haven't, I'll tell you one thing. Being here with these brothers has been such, uh, it's refreshing because we've had conversations and talked about things on both sides that I wish that the church at large can kind of have our kind of conversations. Because I've noticed a lot of times we're really talking right past each other, and the ignorance exists on both sides. And if we can talk um, and be real with each other, we find that we're actually in the same way, kind of saying the same thing, and just trying to figure out how to get there. And so what I've noticed is that when it, when it comes to especially some of the racial social justice stuff, if we can start bringing these things to the local church and the local level and not having these conference-type conversations where it's all generalized, we could get a lot more done. And so, yeah, we, my wife and I, we catch it on both sides. But yeah. you know what, though? That's, that's, that you're, su- you're supposed to if you're, tr- if you're treading the line of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, yeah. It's, yeah, we, it's, I always kind of joke. I coach, I coach track and cross country, and you have these kids that are running, and they're talking to each other. And I always say, if you're talking to each other, you're doing it wrong. And I think sometimes right. in politics, it's it's the same way as, as, you know, if you're not getting it from both sides in the church and in the world, you're probably doing doing it wrong. But anyway, I wanted to give my son a chance. I know you guys have heard a lot about him and Gabriel and, and Toby. You got to meet him a couple of weeks ago at the Cald Conference. Yeah. But he did have yeah. a question for you guys about um, being a young person and dealing with these issues. Hey guys, it's Caden here. I wanted to ask you guys, you know, how can a young person in the church get more involved with the political landscape, but not compromise on our biblical values? Yeah, I would uh, start uh, with... Wait, 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 wait. You going to take this now? Can you do this from me? <laughs> no, no. I, I, before you go, I want to preface it with, are you baptized? Yeah, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Hey, j- just remember, you got kids, baptize them. Amen. <laughs> Amen. You can go, Gabe. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Good. Great. Great question. And I wish more kids would be asking this, these sorts of questions. And I think the, the 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 where I would start would be first: Are are you reading your Bible? Are you actively pursuing a relationship with God? And then are you actively trying to find ways to honor your parents? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Jesus says in Luke chapter sixteen, He said, "Faithful and little, faithful much." And if you aren't practicing what little faithfulness looks like, then, then God's never going to give you big faithfulness. Yes, and the parent and, says and, and, amen. <laughs> that, was, that was for you, David. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then from there, um, uh, absolutely find ways to find uh, mentors and other people who are involved in whatever areas that you find interest in. And, and start getting involved. So um, that's the shorthand. I'm sure Toby's got more. Knox got more to add. Uh, I'll just I'll just throw in there. I, mean, I agree with what exactly what Gabe said. You know, if, if you're not um, pursuing your own relationship with Christ, then you're not going to be any use to anyone really. Um, second, um, I think exactly right. Practice faithful politics wherever you are right now. So practice faithful politics in your family. Faithful politics at work. Uh, faithful mm-hmm. politics at school. Um, it, it's, I mean, it's all politics in a certain way. We say, oh man, I hate the politics, but you know, 
it's, you know, personalities and policies and rules and regulations or whatever, like practice faithfulness there because you're not going to grow, you know, if you're not practicing, you don't magically grow up and become great. Yeah. Um, he he, has, he actually has a real quick uh, uh, follow-up, though, uh, before we run out of time. I want him to ask it. So go ahead, real. Uh, you guys have any, like, book recommendations or, you know, maybe, like, a podcast or a youth conference, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, maybe, you know, is there maybe a youth conference that you know, a high school kid could go to? Yeah, absolutely. Gabe? So, um, yeah, I'll answer this one. Yeah, so go, there's, a, there's, there's a number of books. There's a number of authors, Francis Schaefer, um, uh, uh, Gary, uh, not Gary DeMar. Um, uh, uh, yes, Gary help me DeMar. Up, guys. Gary DeMar is one Gary of them. DeMar, Gary DeMar. Yeah. God in government. God yeah, there we go. That's, that's what I was getting at. So there's some, yeah, Gary North. That's the other author I was thinking of. So those, those are the books you can chase down. In terms of uh, next, every summer um, out in Moscow, Idaho, my uh, New St. Andrews College, which is a college I work for and represent, we host a called conference, um, a conference called called conference, where we want to challenge kids like you, Christian kids, to become leaders. Not leaders wherever God has called them to, and we want to start that at early age of 14, 15, 16, 17. And, of course, you can go to calledconference.ninja to find out more about this conference. But last year we had Steve Bates out here. We had Pastor Joe Rigney out, and then we um, uh, had, of course, Pastor Toby Sumter was there. We had we had some great talks and panels, and it's a great conference for really challenging kids to become Yeah, leaders, I, and, so. and, and I kind of— I wanted to talk about that real quick because it was really kind of a life-changing experience, not only just for one, Andy Wilson speaking, Douglas Wilson. I mean, th- th- some of that stuff was was amazing. But I think that there's yeah. something really positive about having your young uh, young kid, your your child, seeing others roughly his or her age have the same interests, same biblical desires, same desire to yeah. literally reach their community with the gospel and build a biblical worldview. And I think that's one of the things that makes it uh, uh, such a really strong conference we would be able to go to. So anyway, we are talking to the guys from CrossPolitik. I, man, I wish we could have pulled off an entire hour of this because uh, just the information that we've discussed so far I found to be um, – it's really incredible what you guys are able to do, what you're able to accomplish. Uh, Toby Sumter, that uh, is a pastor at Christ Church. Gabriel Wrench works at New St. Andrews College. And David Shannon, the uh, Chocolate Knox. Where can they find you guys? Real quick, give them the information. How can they find out about CrossPolitik? Yeah, they can go to our website, CrossPolitik.com, and then you can find us all on Twitter and Facebook, or you can even email us, contact at CrossPolitik.com. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. Oh, yeah. And and Christchurch and NSA? Yep. Yeah, Christchurch.com. All right. Christchurch.com and NSA.edu. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for being a part of the program today. I do hope next time I can take over this chair that maybe we can get a full hour with you. There's way more information. I only got to about half of the questions that I had on the page, and poor Caden didn't get to ask his other ones. So, hey, how about sometime in the future, end of October, early November, um, I'll sit in this chair again, and, and we spend a little bit more time together. Does that work for you guys? I'd love to. Awesome. Awesome, David. That'd be great. Thank you so much for uh, you guys. We'll talk to you very soon, and I'll watch your show on Sunday. Right now, we're going to take a little break here on the Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman, obviously not Georgine Rice. She is taking some well-deserved time off, and I get the pleasure of sitting in the captain's chair 
And we have had a great first hour. Again, want to thank the uh, guys from CrossPolitik, Toby um, and Gabriel and the Chocolate Knox for being a part of the program. And we're going to kind of continue in the same vein, but we're going to move a little bit. We're going to look into the future uh, with my good friend and guest, uh, Gary DeMar. Gary, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Good. It appears that uh, we have both survived another blood moon. <laughs> bunches, bunches of blood moons, actually. Uh, I know. A few of them. It's been like a year and, and I, a half I, of blood I, moons. Oh, you know, I always tell people, you know, if you read the passage, it doesn't say that the moon will look like it's red. It says that the moon will turn to blood. And I, you know, these people who claim to interpret the Bible literally uh, really don't interpret it literally because uh, they're, the, blood, the moon never turns to blood and it's never going to turn to literal blood. And they miss the true significance of that because sun, moon, and stars in the Bible oftentimes represent nations. And the, what happened to Israel and within that particular generation, their moon turned to literal blood with the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70 when the Romans came in and slaughtered thousands and thousands of Jews during the time that the Passover was taking place. And there were Jews from all over the, the, the known world at that time who were there celebrating the Passover. They, were, they eventually became... The, the sacrifice that they were claiming uh, that, you know, would, that would not take place. So people miss the real true significance of the prophecy of Joel 2 and Acts 2. It has nothing to do with the actual moon. It has to do with the, the events leading up to and including the destruction of Jerusalem that took place in AD 70. Okay, then that leads me to, I guess, we're, we're really where we want to go today, and that is if we get so much of our eschatology wrong— does getting getting those things – how can I say this without – I don't want to cause too much trouble, but I think it's important we discuss it. People always will say, oh, eschatology is not that important. You can put it aside. But if we get our eschatology wrong, are we in danger of creating a worldview that is impotent in our society and culture today? Oh, I, absolutely. In fact, all you have to do is look at that very prophetic scenario – that Jesus outlined in Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And for 40 years, Israel knew about this particular prophecy. If you, if you got that wrong and you were living in Jerusalem at that particular period of time, you were going to die. And that's why if you just read in Matthew 24 after verse 15, is that Jesus says when you see these certain these uh, some of these things take place, head for the hills, uh, leave Judea, go to the mountains, run on don't, the rooftops. Look, <laughs> yeah, don't look, don't look back. Uh, uh, you know, leave your cloak behind. Whatever the case is, get out of town. So there's a very specific example of getting your eschatology wrong, um, and unfortunately. People look at that particular passage today, and they think that this is referring to our day, and that we're always living in the end times. Jesus is coming back soon. All the signs are, are around us. And this has been going on literally for centuries, and I believe it's impacted Christians because they, they've created kind of a, a prophetic inevitability. Uh, they look at these prophecies that have already been fulfilled, and they say, see, this is an indication that, it's, that Jesus is coming back soon. There's nothing we can do to change any of this. Can't change things politically because the Antichrist is supposed to take over. Can't, we can't change anything economically because uh, we're not going to be able to buy or, buy or sell. 
uh, we, we won't going to be able to change any of this because there's this pro, pro, uh, prophetic nut that has to be cracked, and we're, we're going to be the ones that are going to be opened as a result of all this, except, of course, we're going to be raptured out of here, and it's not going to pertain to us. And this has been going on for a very, very long time. It's been, it's been part of the 20th century uh, in, in enhanced factors when Hal Lindsey came out in 1970 with the late great planet of Earth, and then, of course, with the Left Behind series by Jerry Jenkins and Tim LaHaye. Okay, so now, so now we have an understanding that it can impact our um, negatively having a, a wrong, but ha- does having the right eschatology uh, give us uh, some strength, some power, some ideas, some focus in which we can impact our society in a, in a positive way? Okay, all you have to do is go back to the 17th century, with the, the pilgrims and the Puritans. I mean, they were, they were undergoing a great deal of persecution. I mean, people were being thrown into, being thrown into prison. There were those who, who escaped and went to Holland. Uh, and then when they thought the, the worldview of what was taking place in Holland was affecting their children, they decided, look, we're, we're going to go to a, a, a new world. We're going to go to a wilderness, actually. And we're going to set up a, a new standard by which to live. But at, at no time did they ever say uh, all of these prophetic uh, things that we're seeing, all these things that we're seeing in, in our world today are a prophetic analysis of what's taking place and that Jesus is coming back soon and we shouldn't bother with, with, try, with that affecting our lives long term. Uh, they talked about setting up a city on a hill. Uh, they talk about the gospel going into the new world as stepping stones to greater things. Uh, we wouldn't be here today if the, the most popular prophecy system that's propagated in books and TV shows uh, was, was going on back then, because they took seriously the faults that, and, the, and the bad things that were taking place in their world. But at the same time, they believed that those things could be overcome and they, they saw down through the generations that they were, if they were faithful to God, applied the gospel to every area of life, applied the Bible to every area of life, they could make significant changes. We are here today in the United States as the greatest nation in the world because Christians were the ones who established the idea of a very positive eschatology and not a, not a defeatist, we're living on the cusp of, of prophetic history eschatology. Hi, yeah, um, that kind of leads to the next question I guess I have, is when we take a look at the worldview being impacted by our eschatology, our eschatology impacting our worldview, um, if we have a pessimistic view of the future because of our eschatology, does that not lead to a church that then simply becomes impotent and and um, uh, useless or not having the same potential strength that a church with a positive eschatology would? Well, a lot of people who believe that Jesus is coming very soon and that the rapture is right around the corner and all that, they would say that they have a very optimistic eschatology because they're going to be raptured out of here and and they're going to let the world go to hell in a handbasket. And uh, there are those who say, hey, we we shouldn't, uh, you know, um, rearrange the deck the deck chairs on the Titanic. The Titanic is going down. Let's not concern ourselves with the Titanic. Let's not concern ourselves with the world. All we should be doing is uh, preaching the gospel, bringing people to Christ. Now, you and I 
would agree that that's the first step, that we are to preach the gospel, bring people to Christ. But I, I became a Christian in, in 1970, 1973. Uh, so we're talking about more than 40 years ago. And the question is, for, for what should I have been doing for 45 years? Well, just witnessing to people and bringing more people to Christ? Well, what about those people? Yeah, because when you got uh, so, saved, there was less than a decade left in the world. Well, yeah, because uh, Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth, yeah. he said, look, Israel became a nation again in 1948. Uh, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. A generation is 40 years. Add 40 to 1948. You get 1988. And then there was the book that came out in 1988 by Edgar Wisnett, uh, who said that the title of the book was 88 Reasons Why the, Why the Rapture is in 1988. Ah, uh, yes. I, remember I that one well. <laughs> yeah, I debated him uh, right before that time, and he said if if uh, if he's wrong about this, then the Bible is wrong. Uh, now, Ooh. Hal Lindsey never went that far, but Hal Lindsey, for you know, since 1970, has been been basically preaching the same message, even though in every book that he has written since the late great planet Earth. He has, in fact, been wrong. Yeah. Um, well, he, and he, yeah. So go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say we're really up against a break right now. We're going to hold you over to the next segment and finish up a handful of questions and want to take a look about how then we can make a difference by having an eschatology with a much more positive impact on society. You are listening to The Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. All right, we are back on the Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman, sitting in the seat, feeling comfortable in the captain's chair and talking to a good uh, longtime friend, Gary DeMar. Um, Gary, real quick, before we go on with some of the other questions, can you let people know how best to get a hold of you, your books? I always recommend Last Day's Madness. I think that's a must-own for every single Christian um, around today, but there's been a lot of books since then. Can you just give us a handful of some things you'd recommend, uh, based especially on our topic, and then also how they can get a hold of them? Well, they can contact me at AmericanVision.org, AmericanVision.org, or they can go to my website, GaryDemar.com. And uh, you mentioned uh, the late great planet Earth, uh, I mean, the uh, Last Day's Madness, which deals with kind of this late great planet Earth uh, uh, philosophy, theology. And I, I deal with Matthew 24, the, the, the man of sin, the Antichrist, the rapture, Daniel's, Daniel's 70 weeks, and Daniel chapter 9 and, and all of that. I have a new book out called Wars and Rumors of Wars, which is a verse-by-verse exposition of Matthew chapter 24. And I have a shorter book, uh, is, which just asks the question, is Jesus coming soon? And uh, so if you go to AmericanVision.org, you'll see all the stuff I've written on that. And I oftentimes, in fact, I just wrote, a, wrote an article today in response to something that Hal Lindsey wrote about earthquakes as being signs of the end times. And uh, you can go to GaryDemar.com. It's the lead article about earthquakes and the end times, and it'll introduce you to, you know, to, to, uh, to some of this. Yeah, so, in fact, uh, one of the questions I was going to ask you uh, was, in, you, know, you brought up um, the, the constant having to deal with whether there's earthquakes, or now that there's fires, uh, seems seemingly more fires um, or more earthquakes, and and we find out when we do the research that maybe that information isn't so true. But in 2016, uh, we were told by um, future experts, some prophecy experts, that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump were the Antichrist. 
Um, and it seems like we have a history of similar proclamations uh, that have drenched, especially here in the United States over the past 100, 150 years. It seems like everyone that either runs for or wins, uh, you know, Ronald Wilson Reagan with the sixth letter. I mean, it, it's amazing how many times these people can fail in their prognostications and yet still continue to sell books, get radio airtime, get uh, television time? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, interesting that in 1977, it's the April 15th issue uh, of uh, Christianity Today, 1977, um, where Ward Gasquay is reviewing some of some prophecy books, and he mentions Hal Lindsey, and he had an interview with Hal Lindsey and and Gasquay. Remember, this is 19, this was 1977, and supposedly the rapture was was going to take place prior to 1988. And he asked Hal Lindsey, but what if you're wrong? And Lindsey responded, well, there's just a split-second difference be- between being right and wrong about this. And if I'm wrong, I guess I'll become a bum. Uh, see, if, if I'm right, I'll be a hero, and if I'm wrong, I'll be a bum. Well, he was wrong about it. Uh, he was wrong in one of his other books where he said that definitely things were going to end before the year 2000. And yet he's still proclaiming the same type of exegesis, uh, for example, on the, the earthquakes. If you, if you look at Matthew chapter 24, 7, all it says is Jesus says there will be, there will be uh, uh, earthquakes in various places. And Lindsay goes and he says it, it's the increase and in intensity of earthquakes that's important. Jesus doesn't say anything about how many there are going to be. He doesn't talk about how the, the the greater intensity of them he just says there will be there'll be greater earthquakes in various places and in the bible itself in the new testament there are mention of great earthquakes that the bible records and if you read the history of the period between AD 30 and AD 70 there's a whole list of earthquakes that took place in the Mediterranean era, well, area. just in the just in the Book of Acts, we know of a few that impacted uh, the people, and if they were what gathering money. Um, one of the churches was getting money together to help those who have a famine as a result of an earthquake. I mean, there's, there seems like there's a lot of those sort of stories, even in the Bible itself. Right after Jesus predicts that these will happen, yeah, earthquakes and famines. And if you look at uh, Rome, uh, Acts chapter eleven. 28 there is there's going to be there was a big, going to be a great famine during the reign of claudius uh this it's you know, and this is all in the bible as i as i demonstrate in my book uh wars and rumors of wars and last days madness all you have to do is stick to the bible let's compare scripture with scripture and it is amazing what you can what you can determine about bible prophecy paying attention to the time texts near shortly and quickly the meaning of this generation, earthquakes and famines, study the history of the period between AD 30 and AD 70, wars and rumors of wars, again, earthquakes and famines, and um, it's, it's all there. And yet people take these, and you mentioned in the 20th century, uh, you know, the Antichrist. If you look at the definition of an Antichrist, which is defined in uh, 2 John 7, an antichrist is someone who denies that Jesus has has come in the flesh. Mm-hmm. It's not a political figure; it's a religious figure. And who were those? Who were those in Jesus's day, in the time of John and Paul, the and Gnostics James and Peter? <laughs> they well, the Gnostics uh, yeah, were one, I, or lots of the, lots of them. 
I, be, I believe that they were the, the unbelieving Jews. Yeah. They were the part of the synagogue of Satan. Yeah, the Messiah did they not were the come. Ones who, yeah. And so all of this is right there in Scripture. You don't need to be a Bible scholar. You don't need to go to seminary. All you have to do is let Scripture interpret itself, and it's amazing what you can come up with on your own. Well, exactly. And, and just so you'll know, I have my son with me um, across the desk as, as we're talking. Um, he's 16 years old, and he's currently reading Van Til. Um, so it kind of tells you a little bit about him. <laughs> um, and one of his areas of, of really desire is is apologetics. And I know you've discussed this before. We've got about two minutes left. Can you just kind of briefly talk about how having the wrong eschatology can impact your apologetic as you're trying to witness um, or impact the culture around you? Well, one of the one of the key, uh, a key uh, event was a debate between Doug Wilson and Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens. And uh, I was one of the producers of, of the the, uh, the film of this called Collision. I believe it's online. You can get it on. To, yeah, uh, and a fantastic Amazon. Movie. Yeah, and uh, Christopher Hitchens brings up Matthew twenty four verse thirty four. This generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. And, and Hitchens said, I obviously, obviously, Jesus didn't didn't return. And, and Doug Wilson said he absolutely did return. This generation referred to the generation of Jesus' day. The, what you read in Matthew chapter 24, uh, the, the sun, moon, and stars language, you can find that in, in uh, Genesis chapter 37, which is a description of, of Israel. That type of language describes the fall, the judgment of nations. And it took Doug Wilson less than a minute to make that point, and Christopher Hitchens was left without being able to answer it. A, a modern-day prophecy writer could not have answered that question that quickly or with that definitive of an answer uh, in, that, in that short period of time. It just couldn't have happened. So that makes a huge difference apologetically because that particular passage has been used by liberals to, to discredit the authority uh, of the Bible. If Jesus was wrong about that particular passage, what he said about the, the, uh, that generation— then what else was he was he wrong about? Yeah, it even goes so back. This, to, I remember an, uh, there was an old debate. We only got about thirty seconds left. I remember a debate with Russell or what? I mean, where it was a Catholic priest and the atheist, and the atheist brought that exact same thing up, and the, but the person didn't have an answer for it, and it impacts our ability to truly bring the gospel because if Jesus was wrong about that. Jesus could be wrong about how you're saved, how you should live, and everything else. I, my, I want to thank Gary. I wish we had more time. I'm going to be uh, back in this chair in a couple months. I hope that we can spend an entire hour together if that works for you. I'd uh, love to take this and go even deeper. Uh, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman. We are talking about a biblical worldview, how you take what you know of Scripture, turn it into a worldview, and then take that worldview into society and culture around you to make an impact to further His kingdom. Join me um, as we uh, after the next break as we continue. We're going to take a look at Hollywood and about uh, movie writing and book writing with my guest Brian Godow. Again, thanks to Gary DeMar. And you are listening to The Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to The Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman, sitting um, comfortably in the captain's chair as we're uh, taking a look at building a biblical worldview, studying the Word of God in order to build that worldview, and then take it into society around us. We've been talking to our friends from Cross Politic, 
Uh, just got off the phone with Gary DeMar and now bringing in um, an old friend, Brian Gadawa. Brian, how are you doing today? Great, Mr. Lohman. Good to be on. Yeah, think about it, man. You're on an all-star studded show today. You've got Toby Sumter and the Chocolate Knox and Gary DeMar and Gabriel Wrench and now you. Man, we... Uh, we loaded it up today. Uncle Gary was, of course, uh, awesome in talking about eschatology, and we're going to spend a couple minutes with you uh, kind of talking about it as well. But we want to take a look. Um, you've got quite a history in the world of, of Hollywood and movie making, writing books. You're kind of a master of many trades. You're not the, 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 the jack of all trades. You are the master of many of these trades. <laughs> but I've known Gary for about almost 20 years. I've known uh, the guys over at CrossPolitik for maybe three to four years, some of them. Chocolate Knox a little longer. But I've known you for decades. Uh, I think we go wow. back I think we go back to the, like the 80s, early 90s time um, in the old record company yeah. days. <laughs> yeah, Frontline Records, baby. Yeah, we, we go way back. When If anybody familiar with uh, the early workings of the heavier side of Christian music and Christian rap, we were the guys responsible uh, for selling it, and he was the and and you were responsible for making some of the most amazing album covers and art direction stuff, and then you yeah, went into writing fun. screenplays. If you have never seen the movie To End All Wars, do me a favor, uh, go find it somewhere on Amazon Prime or wherever it might be streaming, or go buy it and just own it because that's a movie you should own. And that movie was the screenplay was written by my guest Brian Gadow. Tell me a little bit about how that all came together in that incredible film. Well, you know, I, I had been um, writing uh, screenplays for quite a few years, trying to break in. Hollywood's a tough thing, to, tough place to break into. So you just got to keep working, working, working. And I was trying every outlet I could to get to uh, get my screenplays read or produced in Hollywood. And ironically, um, I'm going to church down in Orange County, and uh, the pastor of the church I, ends up being a guy who's producing movies on the side, independent movies. And we, so we kind of you know, got together. His name's Jack Hafer. And sh sure enough, he's the one I gave him my scripts. He loved it. And he gave me the rights to this book called, um, well, uh, it, I can't remember what it's called, but now it's called Wendell Wars. And it was a true story about Ernest Gordon. And he said, hey, would you be willing to write the screenplay? I said, yeah, sure. And I did it. And that it was so ironic of all the ways I was trying to break into Hollywood. Who knew that it would my first movie would be made uh, by a church pastor, you know, <laughs> and it was a secular type. It was a secular type movie with a Christian worldview. So it wasn't a Christian movie. You know, it had Kiefer Sutherland, Robert Carlyle, a bunch of great guys. Yeah, Mark right. Strong, Robert Carlyle. For, the, for those that don't know, Robert Carlyle um, is uh, has been on the television show once and has been, you know, he was spectacular on that show. Um, as Rumpelstiltskin and Mr. Gold. So if you're uh, familiar with uh, Once, you'll be familiar with who Robert Carlyle is. Yeah, it was, it was a decent cast. It was incredibly well-produced. When you think Christian movie, you definitely do not think this, and yet the, the worldview in it is painfully obvious for anybody who pays attention. Yeah, you know, um, I, I got to say World Magazine said that this was the, the new uh, Chariots of Fire. You know, Chariots of Fire way back there in 1981 was – the first one of the first Hollywood movies that that actually gave Christianity an honest and fair shake and a very noble shake as well when it told the story of you know Eric Little and and the uh, Olympian you know runner who who was a Christian and such and so that was an honor to have that because that was my goal was exactly to do the same sort of thing and so we told a great story that was true 
based on World War II prisoners of war. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's ended up being a, a classic am, amongst many Christians. Yeah. So does, does an opportunity like that, though, does it open doors or do you still have to kick doors down? Or, or you know, ha- what happens in the world of Hollywood when you do get a modicum of success and recognized for a, you know, an exceptional movie, an exceptional screenplay? What happens after that? Yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, because the movie was, was dealing with brutality in, in pre- prisoner of war camps and there was some language in it, um, at the time, Walden Pictures wanted to get the movie and do an Oscar uh, campaign for it. But the problem is they were committed to not taking on R-rated movies, which, uh. in my opinion, was a very foolish, stupid thing. So much so that Walden had the opportunity to help distribute The Passion of the Christ, and they wouldn't do it because it was rated R. <laughs> so I thought that was really stupid, right? Yeah. Well, anyway, so we lost that bid, and, uh, and therefore we kind of we, uh, we lost the opportunity. And here's the irony. Um, we were going to explode on the indie scene. Uh, we we're going to show the movie on um, at uh, the Toronto Film Festival. It was going to be a big, you know, outlier, and we it was going to be shown on September twelfth, two thousand and one, and that was the day, of course, the day oh, after nine wow. eleven. And so, any everyone left. The, you know, it just it totally ruined the whole. You know, not that not that I'm like you know, <laughs> you know. Uh, crying for us in, in, in the face of the 3,000 that died that day. But my point is, is that pretty much ruined the ability of the movie to get out. And so it just kind of went into independent realm and, and we never got the great distribution for it, you know? And um, uh, so consequently, I basically had to start all over at square one. You know, I, I got a few opportunities to, you know, talk to producers because I, I wrote the movie. But by, by and large, it, it was another couple of years before I could get any other projects going. And, but you so, have also been, directed movies. Um, you've done some yeah. documentaries that have been on PBS, um, yeah. different things like that. Yeah. And, 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 and so the, and you've been, in a sense, you've dabbled in the world of Hollywood. But I want to ask real quick, we've been talking about a biblical worldview. And, t- and you know, for you, it would be taking a biblical worldview to Hollywood. You, I, you know, I look at people like N.D. Wilson. Uh, David Doan, some of these people who are trying to do the same sort of thing. But is it safe to say there's actually a worldview that Hollywood has? And, and if so, what is that worldview? Wow. You know, there, first of all, I want to say that there's no monolithic worldview in that. You know, it's not a conspiracy. They're not all on the same page. There are a, there are a lot of people who are on the same page in Hollywood. A lot of them are secular. A lot of them are anti-Christian, very much so. Um, and so you have to be quiet about your faith. You have to be quiet in the sense of being, you know, uh, innocent as doves, but wise as serpents. So I'm not saying you don't speak about your faith, but you really have to be strategic because if you start talking about Jesus, people won't work with you. And Hollywood is very much oriented towards people working with people based on relationships. That's why a lot of people, a lot of the same people make movies together over and over, right? Because they, they kind of all have the same mindset. They like each other and they work with each other and they don't tend to want to, you know, reach out and work with new people. And so that's why it's hard to break in. And if, and, and many of them are secular, many of them hate Christianity and they find out if they find out you're conservative or a Christian in any way, uh, you won't get work. And I, that's actually happened to me. I'm not, I'm not uh, crying victim here, but my, my point is that it really does happen so much so that there was a secret society of conservatives in Hollywood. It was called Friends of Abe, and it, came, it got up to as many as 1,500 members of just conservatives, not even Christians, just conservatives who could not uh, talk about their – at all levels, producers, writers, directors, and they couldn't talk about their, their uh, politics even because Hollywood is – while it's not like, a, you know, it's not like 
how can I say, it's not like a big, vast conspiracy. They all think the same and they all assume the same things. And so they kind of work in, they work in collusion without even uh, conspiracy, conspiracy, you know, without a conspiracy behind it. Oh, I, I think we have, I think we've had a, a good example. I think we talked about it one time before. Um, Stephen Baldwin in both The Usual Suspects and Born on the Fourth of July received overwhelmingly positive reviews. And then yeah. after his outspoken Christian uh, life, all of a sudden he disappeared and he, you know, he ends up in pretty cheesy, mediocre Christian films and, you know, every once in a while pop up somewhere. And it, it's it painfully obvious that something like that didn't just happen by accident. Oh, yeah. And Kevin Sorbo, right? I mean, he was Hercules, man. I mean, and uh, as soon as he becomes Christian and he starts doing some Christian stuff, that's it. His career's over. And, you know, there's dozens of these examples that we could go through. Um, and, and, and it's real. It real. There really is bigotry in Hollywood. There is a real hatred of it. And in fact, I would even say, though, that now there's more of a hatred of conservatives and Republicans politically than there is even of being Christian. But now it's kind of all, you know, it's all lumped in the same basket. And so, yeah, you've got to be really, really strategic. So consequently, I've made mostly independent films, working with people who have a common mindset. I wanted to make films that I believe in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I made this commitment years ago. I don't want to write a stupid blockbuster that, that doesn't, you know, matter. I'd rather write small independent films that were meaningful and that we can control the content and control the meaning. And, and that's what God provided me. So I've never been in the big blockbuster business. But because of that, you know, I've seen the realities and, and, and how, you know, how you really are an outsider. If, if you have any amount of clarity of view or clarity of worldview. Now, there are Christians who are working in the business. And, and honestly, I would say, I, I could argue every year there is a significant amount of movies that I would say have a, have a pretty strong, you know, Christian worldview or, or worldview that's consistent with Judeo-Christianity. And I think part of the reason of that is this. The essence of good storytelling, my argument that I make in my book, Hollywood Worldviews, the essence of good storytelling, I think, is the hero's journey and the story of redemption. And that story of redemption, if you study the nature of story structure, it basically reflects a Judeo-Christian worldview. Mm. And, that, and so therefore, even those who are anti-Christ you know, uh, in Hollywood, in order to tell a good story, they kind of have to follow that paradigm, and that paradigm reflects Judeo-Christianity. Therefore, you have a lot of, um, I think, a lot of good examples of movies that will have a Christian worldview even if not intrinsically, you know, being Christian, if that makes sense. Yeah, we're down to the last minute or so, um, but I wanted you to talk real quick about how you then take that same worldview and and put it into the writing of novels. You have this amazing series called the Primeval Series that actually has Bible characters, but you definitely wouldn't um, classify them as normal Christian Bookseller Association uh, (laughs) novels. So, So real quick, tell us a little bit about it and maybe how they can get the books before we have to say goodbye. Yeah, Chronicles of the Nephilim was, uh, what I did was I wanted to write, I wanted to retell stories in the Bible where strange things were occurred. You know, if you're an honest Christian, you're going to admit that there's a lot of weird things in the Bible that sometimes don't make sense. And uh, I, I think that ultimately they, they can. But anyway, one of those is this notion of giants and, and giants appearing throughout the text. And what does that mean? Is that just an anomaly or not? So I went through and I wrote these novels, Chronicles of Nephilim. It's true to the scriptures, but it fills in between the, the, the cracks with fiction. So I retell stories like David and uh, David, in a way, you've, you've, you've 
seen David a hundred times, right? Uh, but you've never seen the way you have in my novel because there is actually a story in in um, the Bible that many Christians don't catch, and that is that there were not Goliath was not the only one who was fighting David. There was five other giants who were hunting David, and I'm I'm not kidding. That's in the Bible, right? So those are the kind of stories that I tell in the series. And what I wanted to do was I just wanted to sort of you know, make the Bible come alive from a fresh perspective that we may not have seen. And it's a storyline that I call the War of the Seed. And it's basically how Satan throughout history has sought to, you know, destroy the line of the, of the Messiah, right, through, through, um, through Israel. And um, that's what Chronicles of Nephilim are telling. And, and I go into the supernatural angels and demons, sort of like pulling back the curtain of the heavenly realms that, that the Apostle Paul talked about, right? We don't fight against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And these powers are over nations. And we read about that in Daniel, where we read about the prince of Persia versus the prince of Greece. And these are all spiritual powers. So that's the kind of, I wanted to make that, that spiritual essence of the Old Testament come alive and so far, it's been doing well because it's been a best-selling series on biblical fiction on Amazon for five years. Yeah, and it's fantastic. If you have a chance, you can go to Amazon and grab those, or you can go to Brian's website, which is godawa.com. Is that godawa.com? And you, yep. can, you can get links there as well. Brian, I know this was super short, hopefully, and I'll be back in about a month or two. Uh, back in this chair, we can spend a good half hour, hour together and talk about these sort of things. It's always great to catch up with you after all this time. My um, guest was Brian Godawa. Go to Godawa.com, G-O-D-A-W-A.com, and you can grab all that information about him, his books, uh, movies, all the stuff that he's, he's been involved with. And we will be right back on The Georgine Rice Show on KPDQ. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome back to the Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman, sitting in for Georgine as she takes some very well-deserved time off. And if you've been listening to the program, you might have heard a couple questions or so asked by my son and uh, me referring to him a few times. I brought him in for a particular reason, and that is building a biblical worldview. As we've been talking about it for the past two hours how do we build a biblical worldview, and then how do we take it into the different aspects of our lives? How do we take uh, a biblical worldview into the world of politics? We talked about that with cross-politic guys. Um, how do we take a biblical worldview and our view of the future and how it impacts the culture around us or how we can uh, be impacted on our, uh, our apologetics or our ability to witness or, or minister to people? I also took a look at Hollywood and, and, and book and movie writing with Brian Gadawa. But I wanted to take a few minutes and, and talk to my son, because as a 16-year-old boy in school, he's going to be doing running start, so he's going to be in college for well, as he's also finishing up high school, um, running cross-country and track. He has an opportunity to reach out to those who are in his group of friends and acquaintances, those he comes in contact with. Um, how, how does a 16-year-old build a biblical worldview, and, and how did that start for him as he really started studying the Word and, and started reading authors? So I'm going to um, take a little time and, and just ask, Caden, um, when was it and what was it that got you started in, in this idea of apologetics and, and building a biblical worldview? Uh, I think it started, uh, I run cross-country, and almost the whole cross-country team uh, is is Mormons, and I really did not know what that was at all. And uh, I found found resources that you gave to me, like Jeff Durbin from Apologia, and 
his stuff on Mormonism and uh, how how different we are and how much I really don't know about what I believe. I grew up in the church, so I know all the stories, but the more I sought out the word and researched, the more I found that I did not know. Uh, and then through uh, Jeff Durbin and guys like Dr. James White, um, I got into things like apologetics uh, and eschatology. Yeah, and, and and it should be noted that he goes to my uh, my bookshelf and steals all of my books. <laughs> all of the I, time. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come home and I'll find, I'll be looking for a book and I know exactly where it is. It's uh, It's open. But uh, but Caden also does something a little bit unique. When he's reading a book, he also keeps notes along the side in which he does scripture references um, that ch- that he's challenged by, wants to read more, do cross-referencing. So it's more than just, oh, I'm reading a book and regurgitating information that the late Dr. Bonson or Cuneus Van Til or some of these theologians that maybe most in the audience have never heard of, but these are, these are great thinkers. Um, but But – there's more to it than just reading those books. It's also then diving into the scripture that those books are, are pulling out from. Yeah, yeah. And then part, part of that, parting, part of writing down scripture, that goes to the list and then it goes to my brain. I memorize that. Well, that's one of the biggest parts that everyone forgets is memorizing scripture. Memorizing scripture is so important because when we talk about abiding in the word of God, uh, that's where it really comes in and it's really in you and you can see the world and you can say, oh, that's where Scripture is. When we see uh, God, uh, when we see evil in the world, we have to go straight to the Word. And how does God see that? Not how that makes us feel, but God's objective truth. Oh, amen. Yeah, so um, th- now we, t- we take that and um, um, begin to use it. And one of the ways we use it is... Uh, I noticed I came home from cross-country practice yesterday, and Caden was talking to somebody at the front door, and um, it was two Mormon missionaries uh, that came to the door, and we're having a discussion. And uh, my son has taken the time to actually invite them back to our house this weekend, and he's going to start using what it is he's been learning. So um, it, it's more than just something you do when you're 25. It's more than something that you just do when you're 40. It is getting into the Word, finding resources, and there are a lot of amazing resources out there. There are great podcasts, Apologia we've talked about, and we've talked about um, CrossPolitik and, and, and Dr. James White with the, with the Dividing Line. There's a bunch of different ones that you can listen to on a daily basis or a weekly basis. Uh, but there's also incredible books, uh, teaching tapes, uh, videos, YouTube resources. We are responsible, as I talked in the very first segment we are responsible to be like the Bereans, rightly dividing the Word of God so that ultimately, ultimately, we can impact society around us. We can impact the culture that we live in for the gospel. We have been called to make a difference for the kingdom in the area in which we live. And the only way that we can do it is through studying the Word of God, building a biblical worldview, and taking that worldview out into society and into the culture and expanding the kingdom of God. Well, thank you for joining us today on The Georgine Rice Show. My name is David Lohman. My guests from CrossPolitik and Gary DeMar and Brian Gadawa and even my own son, Caden, thank you very much for joining today. And I hope to see you again very soon on The Georgine Rice Show right here on KPDQ. Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. 
Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 